We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by Drench. We love their curated catalogue of high-quality bathroom products at affordable prices, which can transform your space into something beautiful. No matter how small the details may seem, Drench won't miss them. Use the code HOMENOTES10 for 10% off your first order. Most people are managing something in their life. You're either managing the kids, you're managing your home, you're managing your job, and, you know, it's just bringing those skills into the project. Welcome to Stories from Sites, the renovation podcast that digs a little deeper. I'm Amy Donalek, and together with my co-host, Jane Middlehurst, we peek behind the curtains of those Insta-worthy interiors to bring you the real processes people went through to make their dream homes a reality. After 10 years as architects renovating homes, Jane and I set up Home Notes to teach people how to take on their own renovation journeys. We've met so many inspiring people on the way, and now we want to share their incredible stories. This week, we're talking to Sandra, who renovated a forever home for her retirement after downsizing. Sandra had a really clear vision for the space she wanted to create and used her professional skills, coupled with some additional training, to create a stylish and sociable home for this next stage in her life. In our chat, she shares her strategies for keeping her project on track and on budget. Hi, Sandra. Lovely to be talking with you. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jane. Today, we would love to talk about how you made your renovation happen. And I was wondering, maybe to start, you could share a bit about your projects. Yeah. So basically, we were downsizing. So we were selling a larger home, moving to a much smaller one in the same area, and we needed to carry out a major renovation. We decided fairly early on that we didn't want to do different phases over many years, which is probably how we had handled previous work in other homes. We really wanted to get this all done and get moved in. Could you share a bit about your priorities for the projects going in? Yeah, so as I said, we were downsizing into a much smaller space. So we really wanted the layout to reflect the fact that we would be spending more time at home. So we needed something like a day zone where, you know, we could cook, we could chat, we could wander into the garden, but also having, you know, a separate space at the front, you know, a sitting room where we could have some cosy time, maybe somebody dropping by, maybe socialising. We also wanted the house to feel more contemporary, you know, not like a couple of OAPs are living there, (laughs) but more, you know, more fashionable, more trendy, so that, you know, that we would enjoy that space too. And then we sort of wanted to build in some future proofing as well, not finding, you know, five, ten years down the road that we were then looking at more major work as we start to get a little bit older and maybe some of our requirements changed a bit there. And, of course, the big one was the budget. And whilst we had downsized and we had a reasonable budget, we needed to stay on track. You know, everybody does, no matter how much money they have. So that was obviously one of the big priorities for us too. I like the the picture you paint of retirement. It sounds sounds good. (laughs) What professional help did you get with the project? We got started very, very early. So we started doing a lot of research And I do sort of think most projects are probably maybe 60% research and planning and maybe 30, 40% execution. So we started researching a lot very, very early. 
some stuff online, don't move and prove. We went to, I think we went to the ideal home as well. Then we, we signed up for the home notes course, as you know, which was fabulous. And then when the actual project was kicking off, we had an architect, party wall surveyor, structural engineer. And then we also used quite a lot of services from some of the suppliers, which, you know, they're free. So they're part of, you know, they're part of the offer. So, you know, bathroom design, colour schemes. So we used a lot of stuff and just sort of coordinated that in a, in a sort of very simple way. When you set out on the project, did you know that that's how you were going to structure it? Or did it come about organically as you went into the process that you realised you needed a bathroom design or you realised you needed these other things? I've got a, quite a number of friends that have carried out projects and, you know, they've got to the end and, you know, when you get that sort of post-project phase, a year in or so, and suddenly I'd realised I'd get the builder back because they weren't happy with the bathroom or the kitchen wasn't quite how they wanted it. And there are some areas of of the home that are really, really tricky. I think bathrooms are probably one of the trickiest areas to get mm. right. So I think it was always in our mind that we would need help in those areas but it was also about finding the right level of help and ensuring that it didn't bring a degree of confusion into the project with sort of you know too many cooks in there. Can I ask you about your architects what did they do for you and was that as you imagined? Yeah so our architect I guess from the beginning we had quite a clear view because we knew the sort of layout that we wanted wasn't particularly the traditional one. We wanted him to interpret our ideas, but also bring another option to the conversation as well, which he did, to be fair. Then as we moved into the project, he became more of the project manager, particularly for the external shell. You know, the stuff about foundations, etc. you know, that's not really our, our thing. So he managed that closely with the builder. Then when it moved more towards the fit-out, then we used him more for checking technical issues. You know, for example, were the windows that we were going to order compliant with regulations? Were there any issues that would cause the project, you know, not to be passed or cause us a problem later on down the road? So essentially, your architects oversaw the external shell of the building. Yes. But you were in charge of the internal refurb. Yes. So how, how was that sharing the project management? Yeah, it was pretty good, actually. I mean, we would have a, a meeting once a week. He would visit probably two or three times a week, you know, because we were fairly near to where he lived. And initially, if I sort of go back to the initial phases when it was a dig out and, you know, the house was being ripped out, there wasn't a lot of input from us, you know, when you're, you're sort of ripping out the house. So we would visit once a week, usually at the weekend. But we'd also keep a project tracker. So any issues that came up that needed a decision we would talk about it, document it and close it so that we weren't then sort of constantly going over the same things and, and, you know, items getting confused. Then we got a schedule from the builder about when items would be issued and then we would talk to the architect about that and say, well, hey, hold a minute, you know, flooring's like 10 weeks away. We're still looking at samples. What are the things that we need to consider? So it worked quite well, but I think you have to be very, very clear about closing items out because I think, you know, the architect isn't an absolute expert on everything. They can't be. So some things he would need to go back and find out. 
some things wouldn't be absolutely definitive. You know, it would be, well, if you sort of do this, which could be frustrating, but that's just the way it is, you know. And we were very, very lucky. He was very clear and the builder was extremely sort of efficient and able to work very accurately. You know, I've sort of heard of people saying um, that, you know, they use the architect for the planning stage, um, but they're not going to use for the project management. I couldn't dream of not using an architect for the for the project management side. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it just would be just not something that we'd consider. I think that's just great money spent on get, keeping yeah. the project on track. It sounds like you were very good at holding all those different pieces together in a way that you were central to the different conversations that were going on and keeping that all on track. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm really envious of people that sort of hand over to the architect and they come back a year later, you know, and they've got this fabulous home. And I don't think we would have been comfortable with that, to be fair. I think we wanted to be involved. And also, as we were holding the budget as well, we felt that we really wanted to stay as close as possible without, you know, without sort of making it painful for everyone around, but that we could anticipate what was coming and, you know, we could just we could just stay up to date and also get the project driven through because at the same time we were renting so we were paying rent for an apartment we were paying double you know double council tax and all that sort of stuff and we really just wanted to get into our home as quickly as possible. Can I ask how you manage your budgeting? So do you remember that spreadsheet that's on home notes where you start with your category so you start high level so you start with what's the cost of professional fees you know architect so on then you break it down under certain categories. What's my glazing costs? What's my bathroom costs? Then I broke it down even further and started putting a headline figure against each category. So let's say, for example, we did two bathrooms. So the budget for the bathrooms initially was £20,000. So let's put a number on that. And that's the figure that I gave to the bathroom company. They then built it up using that number and it came out slightly more. And then I just tweaked bits with them. We talked about it and said, well, it's slightly over. They, they thought, well, is it a problem? I said, well, yes, it is, because everything is 10% over. I've got, a, I've got a massive overspend, and I've, I've not even started the project yet. And we just, we just tracked it in that way. So if something changed, I changed it. If we had a landed quotation, particularly around the bigger items, like, for example, glazing, flooring, etc. And I'd ask the supplier that, how long is your quotation good for? And if they said, oh, well, three months, then I would seek to sort of land, you know, at least the deposit to fix the price before they were increasing. Because not to forget that we were also renovating during a pandemic. Prices were increasing, there were supply shortages. So we just dealt with it in that way. So I had a great big spreadsheet Overview was the home note sheet and behind it was the cost sheet. The other thing that was really helpful, um, because, you know, running a big project, part of the the key issue is being able to compromise because you can't have everything that you want. I mean, it's just not financially possible. So we always had item A and item B. What would we love, but what would we accept? There were some areas where we said, actually, we're not going to compromise. You know, we're not compromise on glazing, but we compromised on the kitchen. 
Initially, you know, it started off wanting this fabulous shaker kitchen or this handleless kitchen, you know, the quotes were coming in, you know, about 40K. And um, it was pushing the budget out, seriously pushing the budget out. And then when we said, well, what's the difference between, let's say, this top-of-the-range kitchen and another value kitchen? Well, of course, there is a, a, a difference. And I think the difference might be in longevity and depending on how you use that kitchen. But visually, I think with good fitting, I'm not sure that, you know, to the, to the normal eye that you could see much difference. And once we'd compromised that, then actually it freed up so much more into the budget. So I always sort of think about the way that we use our budget is it's sort of like a, a large piece of bread and we just spread the butter <laughs> right around the corners as opposed to, you know, one big chunk in the middle. That's brilliant. I love that. So that was part of the bills because you were managing the interior fit out and that's all your budgets for your interiors. But then you obviously had the contractors fees. Yes. Can you talk about how that played into the budget? Yes. So we started off with a normal tender process, going out to about four contractors, got the quotes back and they were just like way over, way over. I think two put in a price. One did and one said he was just too busy and didn't have the labour and the other one gave us a price but said he couldn't do it. However, his price was the benchmark price because he was something like probably half of the highest other quote that we'd had at that time. So we then changed the tendering process. So instead of the usual send it out, wait four weeks, see what comes back, open them all at the same time, we started to see builders whereby they they would come see the project, they'd already seen the drawings and the specifications, ballpark figure was in 48 hours, and if that ballpark figure was near to the benchmark, then we would ask them to actually fill in the tender. And actually, that worked really well because it saved the building contractors lots of time not filling in a tender that they they had no chance of even getting on price. When we then came down to the final contract, we came down to final two, actually, we decided not to negotiate down the price. We just felt if we start to sort of nibble away and push the price down, we're only going to find sort of the extras creeping in later on. So we actually, I think that really worked for us because it started the project off on a really good good step. And also when I look back at sort of how, how much extras we picked up, I think we picked up £1,500 of extras across the entire project and those extras were things that we had requested and not specific changes that Mm. had happened during the project so it created quite a lot of flexibility. That's amazing and I think that's such an interesting point because contractors work out their price you know that the price they give you is is based on something. Right you know I'd visited a couple of projects that he had completed and spoken to um an architect he'd worked with and spoken to a client and they were all really, really happy. And I think that matters, you know, it really mm. matters when you're doing a big project that you've got the best contractor on there that your money can afford. And I just felt he, you know, this guy was the one. You had a good feeling about him, good communication. Yes. And how did that relationship play out on site? Very, very good, actually. Good communications, good forward planning, very, very decisive. So I think it's it's important, you know, contractors want to get their jobs done and get and get finished and moved on to the next contract. 
what they really all want to avoid, just like any client, they want to avoid indecisiveness and also reworking things. So I think our challenge was to try to stay just a few steps ahead of him all the time. And it was tricky because, you know, sometimes the project would be jogging along at a fairly good stage and then we wouldn't visit maybe for, I don't know, two, three days. And then when we visited again, you know, it moved massively. You know, the electrician was saying, right, so you really do need to tell me now where things are going and in the bedrooms, for example, you know, you want wall lights. Well, you know, so where is the bed and how big is the bed? so that he could measure because they just don't want to move it afterwards and you can understand that. So it worked really well. What would you say you learnt through the process? Oh, loads. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the process is very, very emotional. You know, you're spending huge amounts of money, even when you've done all the research and then when you start to pay deposits, you know, you're like, oh, my goodness, you know, I've just spent £50,000 in like 15 minutes because you've had to pay all the deposits on everything. So I think it's very emotionally, financially. I think, you know, it's emotional when you see what was an old, tired, perfectly habitable terraced house sort of ripped back to the brick, the rear of the house demolished, there's no roof on it, all the internal walls are gone, and there's just the ground floor staircase going sort of to the first floor. That's a scary emotional time but then you know you get the other stuff where you know suddenly your flooring goes down you know or your kitchen arrives and it looks great even though it's still in the packaging you're sort of relieved you're like oh yeah we're sort of the end is in sight so it's very very emotional very sort of up and down all the time and what would you say was the most unexpected thing about the whole process I think the number of decisions, the number of de- and the relationships that you have to manage, whether or not it's it's the guy that's on site here that you know he's cleaning up at the end of the day, and you've got to acknowledge him, you know, even though he's the most junior member of the building team, um, also um, the relationships with the suppliers, and I know sometimes it's easy to have frayed tempers and. They're not getting it right and they won't commit to delivery times. But actually, those relationships are really, really critical in helping you to stay on track and also helping you to get the best the best out of your project. I mean, I can remember going over to see the glazing companies and when we arrived, we already had the plans, they were already drawn out what we thought we wanted. And they said, I don't know what I would do if this were our house. And... They completely redesigned all the glazing for the back. And actually, it was much better, it was more contemporary, and the cost was lower. Now, they they didn't have to do that. They could have just said, well, you know, this is what you guys have asked us for. You know, let's get it ordered. But it's, it's just having that relationship as well, you know, and even things like delivering onto site. And our building contractor was great because he worked really closely with any other supplier that delivered, whether or not it was the guy that installed a wood burner or the team that installed the sash windows. You know, I would give him the contact details. He would then liaise regarding, you know, the delivery. But he was always there when they came for an initial measure up so that he knew exactly what was happening. 
And I think that's absolutely priceless because that's what Mm. keeps your project running smoothly, which is all you want. It's all anybody wants, really. Yeah, amazing. That's really, really interesting. I think those communications between the main contractor and him taking that on board is really, really helpful for the project. And it's good for them too because it makes everything run smoother and faster. And, you know, you can get to the end quicker. Obviously, you've put a lot of time and energy into this project and managed to stay on top of it really well. Mm. How much time do you think that was for you going through site? Through site? Well, I was quite lucky. I'd finished work. So I had already retired. My husband carried on working. So the project, if you like, became my my sort of my full-time job. I come from sort of a project management HR background. So I'm... I've sort of got some experience in that area, some experience. I think you can tell. I think (laughs) (laughs) a bit of experience in that area. I would say maybe at the beginning, probably 10 hours a week. I think as it got later into the project, you know, the detail, the checking, the double checking, the sort of circling back with comms, you know, the WhatsApp group that we had running. I'd probably say it was more like 20, maybe even 30 hours. So I think nearer the end, it was maybe even equivalent to a full-time job. When you said that you had made decisions on lots of the items, had you done that before sites Mm -hmm. at that time? Yeah. No, that was made way in advance. So by the time I came off of the Home Notes course, I went into sort of what I call a deeper planning mode. We were probably spending a good 10, 15 hours a week just Mm -hmm. planning, researching, narrowing down. And then you've got to ask a number of questions, particularly for higher priced items, about guarantees. Because one of our checklists said that, have have we read the contractual details? And I remember we we were about to order a kitchen. And then when I read the contractual details, I said, have you read it? And I thought, oh, no, I haven't. When I read it, there was no guarantee on the kitchen. We couldn't proceed. So... It's that sort of thing that takes a lot of time to read and to research and then for for us as a couple to then say, right, okay, what do we want to do? Do we want to spend more money? Do we want to start again? Do we know enough about this item to order it or yeah. do we not? Yeah, and I always think that I've sort of born slightly sceptical, if that makes sense. So I sort of need to know how things work and understand them because... Once it's all finished and the builder's finished and, you know, the architect's left, it's yours. Mm. And you've really got to sort of know that you're comfortable with it and the choices and why you made those choices, etc. What comes through is just the thoroughness of your process. I think it's just amazing the effort and energy and time you put into it, but you can see that in the result. It really does look spectacular. Oh, thank you. (laughs) But I think the fact that you also had, what did you say, 1,400 was what you went over your budget? 1,500. 1,500 pounds. I mean, that's incredible on a project of this scale. So um, if we had a medal, we would definitely (laughs) give it to you. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. But that's that's with the the plan. I mean... I don't think it's, I don't think, I mean, it's great to have to have sort of compliments and I love it. But um, I think it's down to the planning and the execution. And most people are managing something in their life. Do you know what I mean? You're either managing the kids, you're managing your home, you're managing your job. And, you know, there's always something that we're all managing. And it's just 
bringing those skills into the project, but also ensuring that you take the time to take some training where you need to. So whether or not it's home notes, create academy with some other training, input from suppliers, you sort of just need to bring that in there and then be sure that you're not kicking off the project before you're really, really ready to do it. And I found a lot of that where, you know, friends would sort of say, oh, you know, I'm starting, I'm starting, you know. And I go, oh, God, that's really exciting. But yet, you know, they hadn't thought about certain things. Well, you know, we'll work that out as we go along. And I think that's really sort of quite dangerous territory because, you know, it's prone to overspend. So I think if you can think all of that through... Whilst, you know, you could drive yourself slightly mad and we used to have to keep it in a box, you know, we'd only talk about it. Certain time, finished, done, dusted, documented or on a spreadsheet, that was it. But it was really great when the project came because then we'd thought about all of these things. We knew the mistakes from the previous house and um, you could just you could just deal with that. So I guess maybe to wrap up, to other homeowners thinking about renovating, what would be your one recommendation yeah my one recommendation would be think about your two can I have two recommendations yes Yes, definitely thank you (laughs) Uh, my, my first one would be think about your project in the context of maybe 60% planning 40% execution so you know spend lots and lots of time planning researching talking, seeing, visiting, adding numbers up, you know, playing with scenarios until you are absolutely happy that you've really got that right. And only then are you ready even to start talking to a builder properly at that point, you know, or a professional. The the second thing I, I would say is be really clear about what it is that you want and don't lose sight of it because it's that that will actually help to get you through the, you know, the awful months of mud and cold and big skips and dust and ripping out and, you know, and start to see it how you want, you know, it was it's sort of progressing along. So don't lose sight of that. Yeah, yeah, that's really amazing. Thank you so much, Sandra, well, for being with you. us. Thank you. I think there's so many gems in there. It's going to be helpful for a lot of people to hear. To see images of Sandra's beautiful home, head to our website, homenotes.co forward slash stories from sites. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Renovating can be a roller coaster, and if you're at the beginning of your renovation journey, come and find out about our Getting Started course at homenotes.co to make sure you get the best value from your project. Finally, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as it will help us reach as many people as possible and all learn from these amazing experiences.